This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, April 17, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Advocates of federally mandated paid family leave should first consider the effects of unpaid family leave. The lessons of that policy signed into law 20 years ago can help us better understand how women, the primary intended beneficiaries of central policy, might be harmed by paid family leave. Cato policy analyst Vanessa Brown Calder comments. So we do have research on the Family and Medical Leave Act, and despite it being sort of an accepted part of the legislative fabric, uh, the current legislative fabric, the consequences of the policy are not all stellar. So analysis suggests that women hired after the policy are 5% more likely to be employed, but that they are 8% less likely to be promoted. Okay. What does that mean? I mean, what does that mean for women? I mean, presumably that would that might exacerbate the uh, much maligned pay gap. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we do see so there's a variety of current there's a variety of proposals out there across the board right now coming from all sorts of different individuals and uh, the two different parties. Of course, the Republican Party has certain congressmen and women who have come up with proposals for either mandated childcare, mandated paid leave. The Democrats, of course, have this as well. Um, and Ivanka Trump sort of put forth her own proposal, which my understanding is she is lobbying Congress for right now. So there's a variety of examples of various proposals which try to actually even create more benefits for women. I think that what we want to be really careful of when we start to think about some of those proposals are some of the implications of them that are not all positive. And you can definitely see that with the Family and Medical Leave Act. that women are less likely to be promoted, that's certainly a bad thing. Um, And you asked, what does that mean? I think that that means that over the course of women's lives, they are actually paying the price for some of these policies. And that's certainly something that is not part of the current debate on any of these women-centric policy proposals. To what extent could this drive discrimination? Yeah, so this is a great question. If you look at, of course, we don't have paid leave across the board in the United States, but we do have examples of these policies in other countries, and we do have examples of these policies at the state level. So as an example, in Spain, um, they have a policy which they implemented in 1999 that aims to protect women with children against layoffs. So in other words, if you are a woman who has reduced her hours in her employed hours, then you cannot be fired from your job. So that sounds like a pretty good thing. But in practice, that actually harms women directly. A natural experiment showed that after policy implementation, childbearing women were less likely to be hired, less likely to be promoted, and more likely likely to be laid off. So it certainly seems that actually connecting benefits of uh, benefits that generally are used by women with employment can definitely drive some type of discriminative effect. 
at the employment level. Um, and you also see that, you know, in Great Britain, they have wage entitlement and job entitlement policies there. And those policies led to fewer women holding management positions and promotion track jobs. You see that in the research from Jenna Stearns um, at UCSB. Um, you also have policies in Chile. Now, whether there's a lot of external validity to those policy sort of results is debatable. Of course, Chile and America, there's very there's a myriad of factors that would change the way that a policy would imp would actually roll out and affect people in Chile versus the U.S. Nonetheless, it's important to look at these things, I think. Um, they mandated, mandated employer-provided child care for working moms there in 2009. And according to recent research, women employed by affected Chilean firms saw their wages reduced by 9 to 20 percent as compared with female Chilean workers that were not impacted by the policy. Um, so I think in general, what you want to think about when it comes to discrimination is three things. There are three things that can occur or are likely to occur. One, women will be paid less via cost shifting. So in other words, whatever the benefit proposed is worth will be actually re taken out of women's paychecks. Um, two, women are not hired or not employed as much as often. And three, women are not promoted. And I think those are the three areas where you could see discrimination potentially occur. And actually, if you look at some of the research that the famous Harvard economist and former president of Harvard University, Larry Summers, did, back in 1989, before he got famous, he wrote this paper called Some Simple Economics of Mandated Benefits. And he said basically that. He said that the expected cost of mandated benefits for women is higher than it is for men. And the implication of that, he says in his conclusions, are that either these differences in cost and benefit are going to be demonstrated in the in sort of an offset of wages. So in other words, for non-economists, women will be paid less. Or if not that, then there will be uh, then women will actually not be hired as a result of those mandated benefits. So from the perspective of an employer, you can sort of understand their position in a lot of ways, especially if you have uh, people that you're hiring to do ongoing projects and it's not uh, something you know, rote or mundane uh, for in companies where there are significant management opportunities, where the the skills necessary to be managers can only be uh, earned over experience in some particular field. You know, if I'm a, a business owner, I might cringe a little bit if I knew that uh, hiring somebody uh, was more of a gamble in terms of like professional development and being able to retain them and knowing that that uh, they might they might vanish for some period of time uh, that I have to, pay, one, pay for, or even, even if I don't have to pay for it, the fact that I have to hold that job open, uh, it might make you think twice about it. I really, really agree with that, and that's exactly what I'm worried about. Um, I think that these policies, however they turn out, that they have the potential to really hurt the people that they intend to help, and that is what um, has that is sort of what 
different economists of various stripes have actually said is likely to be the case. Um, I think that they will likely hurt childbearing aged women. And as we mentioned before, that can be really, really impactful to a woman's career because the, the ages of childbearing span 20 to 40. And that is exactly the time when you invest a lot in your career and where your experience really matters. So if you have missed opportunities in that time because basically employers are attaching a dollar sign to your head when you walk in the door, um, then that could hurt your career into perpetuity, really. And it could hurt your wage stream into perpetuity if they're reducing your wages based on the sort of a quick and dirty statistical analysis that you have the potential to have children in the next 10 years. Uh, that's really hurtful. Um, and I think that surprisingly, it will also help, it will also hurt Sorry, it will also harm uh, women that lack education. So women that are not necessarily invaluable to their companies or indispensable to their com companies. So in many cases, poorly educated or um, poor income women. And I think it will also really hurt from what the research says, highly skilled women. Um, and the reason for that is that in many highly skilled jobs, employers actually have to invest a lot into you in the early years of your career. And so if they now know that you are, you have, again, some dollar sign attached to your head and that you are likely to be out of the labor force and they are going to be on the hook for that, and then maybe you won't even come back after all of those benefits have been paid to you, then when sorting is difficult, they will just consciously or subconsciously say, well, let's invest in the man who is doing that same job. And all of those things really worry me. The response from people who support this kind of policy, I think might, might be, well, just make that kind of discrimination illegal or police that discrimination more uh, effectively, more vigorously. Yeah, and the odd thing about it is that this type of discrimination is actually already illegal, um, but nonetheless, it's it's hard to prove discrimination, right? So in California, I don't think we've talked about this yet, they actually have mandated paid leave, and you see that in California, although uh, labor force particip participation, female labor force participation rose after implementation of paid leave. Childbearing aged female unemployment and unemployment duration increased as well. Um, and that's unambiguously bad, uh, bad thing. So this is probably, again, because these benefits, the mandated paid leave made women more expensive in employers' eyes, and whether or not they thought critically about that as they were hiring people, they are doing a cost-benefit analysis with any person that you hire. Um, and so that seems to be the result of the policy, even though it is certainly illegal to discriminate on women because of their gender. Vanessa Brown-Calder is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.